You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Due to some confusing, boring legal stuff, Sin can't podcast any of the knee-slapping tracks that are played on air. To dance along with us in the studio, you'll need to listen live. Tune your radio dial to 90.7 or stream it online at sin.org.au. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands of which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors, elders in past and present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It was, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Brady, how are we for another week of Represent? We are good. It's been a pretty quiet week. Pretty quiet week. It's kind of yeah. been like that recently. It has a bit. I feel like there's been one like big thing that happens, and mm. it's kind of it. There's not much substance to, apart from <laughs> that, I think. Like, you know, make some drama over sure. or something. Yeah. Um, speaking well, of which... Well, there's still the ScoMo drama going on, but... There's still a we've ScoMo done that. drama. Been there. Maybe, yeah, been there, done that. Exactly. It's kind of old news now, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> um, maybe we'll turn our heads towards international news in the future or something like that. Something to change it up a bit. We know that there's like US primaries coming up soon and all the campaigning. In fact. They are happening now. And obviously just the world. (laughs) The world's the world. Yeah, world affairs. (laughs) That's the the proper (laughs) way of putting it. World world affairs. World affairs. Could be anything. I literally do a degree of international relations, but just... Escapes my mind. Yeah. You're back on Represent Onsen with Brady and George, and we're going to get straight into it. Discuss Take it away, George. <laughs> you can't. I've copyrighted that, I'm pretty sure. No, yeah. you haven't. <laughs> it's not plagiarism, like it says on the wall. Oh, yeah, we've got some new media law and ethics, so everyone at Acme can chill about our non-breaches or Mimi's <laughs> blatant defamation that oh, she brings out to everyone. <laughs> Mine's all about defamation today, okay, okay, so very it's good, very topical. Very good. We're all on top of it. But we'll start it off with one of the biggest stories in the week. Um, just, well, one part of the bigger, I guess, news story elements of this week was Robo Debt and how it will be... A royal commission will go into the into the scheme. Um, I'll give a bit of an overview for those who aren't entirely aware of what RoboDebt was. Um, to preface it, it was a scheme that 
basically was an automated method um, of debt assessment um, recover and recovery employed by Services Australia as part of its Centrelink payment compliance program. It started in 2016 and announced to the public in December of the same year that the scheme aimed to replace and formally a formally manual system of calculating overpayments and issuing debt notices to welfare recipients with an automated data machining system that compared Centrelink records with an average income data um, from the ATO. And one of the key... There's a few problems with this scheme from the get-go, right? Um, So when we look at it to start with, it was an average income data, which doesn't really work in the gig economy because as... We know as casual workers, um, your wage from one week to the next is never the same. It could be, you know, $300 one week, it could be $1,000 next week. So obviously that was like just a blatant thing that should have stood out to um, those in charge at the yeah. time. God, guys, get on to <laughs> like, it. I mean, you think it's pretty self-explanatory, <laughs> yeah, right? No, like, I mean, obviously people don't make the average income. Yeah. Like, it just it changes, and there's work. The workforce is so casualized. Exactly, and bearing that in mind, not only do they just bring in this average income, but they stop because they went to the automated system. They stop cross like referencing mm. or cross examining <laughs> is the right word. Cross referencing is completely different. Cross examining how um, this debt should be collated and what amounts people owe. Now that is one thing, but then to top that all off, it, they put the responsibility of the overpayments of disputes on the people who had to pay the debts back. So generally speaking, this targeted lower income people because obviously they were on Centrelink um, and all, all people were switching in between from the lower class to the middle class. So there's been arguments saying that it reduced class mobility as well. And basically... Um, if you weren't like fully aware of like you know how much you earned on this date, if you didn't have the right paperwork, the right receipts, then you were in a bit of strife and you weren't able to contest it, or you wouldn't have even known that you were actually supposed to be paying more. You might thought it was just a a miss, you know, mistaken tax or something rather like that. So um, after this was used, um, it's claimed that it unlawfully claims about two billion dollars in payment from four hundred thirty-three thousand people um, over that period of time. Which, especially when you're of, as I said before, lower income, um, that's quite an amount to target, especially on the most marginalised people of society. Wouldn't you agree, Friday? I would absolutely agree. So um, that's so much money. It's so much money, and that's led to like the social service minister Amanda Rishworth who said that like why were there never these questions asked to begin with um we know that is and I'm quoting here we know it that is late as back as 2016 there were members of public flagging concerns that these debts weren't right and there were unions such as the unemployed workers union who were a big part in kind of advocating to how wrong the robo-debt scheme was. Um, And to top that off, she said that these were real flags the government should have listened to. So Scott Morrison, who was the social services minister, (laughs) how the turntables, um, when the scheme was established, um, has said the problem was dealt with by his government and it was scrapped in 2020. So what we're saying is there was four years of unregulation of this, but 
four years later, when two billion dollars were lost, then you know he really and thought now that. We was, take now, yeah, now now it's all good. You know, four years <laughs> that, that didn't matter. And even bearing in mind, so there are going to be compensation for um, the people who were affected by this. But before I get into the statistics of that, it's the government who's paying for it, right? Right. So where's that money coming from? From the taxpayer. And who's paying taxes? Like, these <laughs> same people are paying for the taxes on things that they should be getting back in the first place. Yes. And when you consider that, the, like, to start, these taxes could have gone towards, like, improving the minimum wage or improving... Or raising the Centrelink. Raising Centrelink payments or even just improving job seeker, things like that. So... They've been, you know, on one hand, they've been screwed over a little bit um, from RoboZet. <laughs> paying and then, for your own Yeah, like, paying for your own compensation. <laughs> it does not make sense at all, does it? And no. then on the other hand, you're essentially, you know, you're not getting any improvements to your livelihood that you might be getting if this was um, put in the correct way. Uh, so after that, we can... We know that there's been about $112 million in compensation to around 400,000 people so far. Um but that's suspected to reach at the very minimum $751 million in unlawfully collected debts. Um, this is all according to the ABC as well. Um, so bearing all this in mind, um, a Royal Commission has been announced by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Um, there's been four aspects that the Royal Commission will go over. Um, for w- firstly, um, it will go over the establishment and design of the implementation of the scheme, who was responsible for it, why they consider robo-debt necessary and any concerns regarding the legality and fairness. Um, secondly, the handling, um, just the general overview of the handling of the scheme. Um, thirdly, it will go over the outcomes of the scheme, including the harm to vulnerable individuals and the total financial costs to the government. Um, fourthly, measures needed to prevent similar failures in public administration in the future. So... Hopefully, um, all this bearing in mind will kind of prevent anything like this happening in the future. But, <laughs> I mean, that's, I guess, wishful thinking. It but, is um, a bit. I, I guess Optimism, I, some may it's, say. It's optimistic, some may say. <laughs> um, but, Brady, I will throw it to you now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will ask, like, do you think that, generally speaking, there's been enough level of accountability by the former government in how they've kind of how this has all gone about or is this just like an overdue kind of timing of no i definitely don't think there's been enough kind of accountability there's not really been any responsibility taken i just did the maths and it's like four thousand dollars per person if you say it's two billion dollars in payments from four hundred and thirty three thousand people like four Mm. grand a person for someone who's receiving unemployment benefits that's a lot of money it's a lot of money yeah exactly so like they're They've literally taken this money from people against the law and then they haven't done anything to be like, I'm sorry. There's not, Mm. as far as I know, there hasn't even been an apology. Um, They've been found liable in a lawsuit um, in a class action, which I believe was the biggest class action ever in Australia. Um, Was that the 400,000 people one? Potentially. I think so. (laughs) I think so. Um, So, yeah, they just like... Even though they've been found liable, I feel like no one that was in the cabinet or even in the government really has been like, this is our bad. Like, we mucked up. Mm. Yeah. To put it diplomatically. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
yeah, exactly. There's there's got to be a level of accountability to that, and even bearing that in mind, like even now, like you know, Scott Morrison is saying, "Oh, we did deal with it." Yeah, like he's still saying that we fixed it. But yeah. if we're still talking about it now, I don't think that he's fixed it. Yeah, exactly, and like that, right? And then like the sheer audacity of <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like just looking at this objectively, like. The opposition leader Peter Dutton is still questioning the, yeah, the legitimacy the of like this royal commission. Like, isn't it pretty yeah. obvious to everyone that there should be a royal commission into something like this? That's really screwed over so many people. In yeah, the most marginalised people as well. The people that you know the government should be taking care of. You know the most out of anyone mm-hmm. to, to be pragmatic. So yeah, it's really interesting. And we'll see what comes out of the royal commission. Um, hopefully, there's there'll be a lesson learnt for future governments and you'd hope so. You'd hope I mean so. that's the point of royal commissions. That's They're the point super of... expensive to run. Yeah. Um we and did they a whole take lot a long them. time. They like do. It, I think it was about twenty twenty three or Yeah, I think early twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three when um, we'll actually see the results of this bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's um really a interesting saga that will continue to run the headlines for the next few weeks. Back on to represent with Brady and George. Go for it, Brady. Ah, yeah, done you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Lachlan Murdoch of uh, Rupert Murdoch fame versus Crikey. So, Crikey is like an independent news outlet that's sort of. It's actually been around since 2000, I read, which is a long time, but it's sort of risen to prominence a bit more in like the Twitter era. Um, so, what has happened basically is that. Um, in June, Crikey published an analysis article about the January 6 hearings in America that called the Murdoch family an unindicted co-conspirator in the riots at the Capitol. Um, so specifically what it said, and so Bernard Keane, who's the political editor at Crikey and was previously their Canberra press gallery correspondent, um, he argued that the Murdoch media continues to quote, peddle the lie of the stolen election and play down the insurrection Trump created. And he said that the former US president, Richard Nixon, was infamously the unindicted co-conspirator in the Watergate scandal. And he drew an analogy that, quote, the Murdochs and their slew of poisonous Fox News commentators are the unindicted co-conspirators. So pretty uh, inflammatory language, (laughs) shall we say. So... Um, early on, Lachlan Murdoch complained to Crikey and they took the article and the related Facebook post and the tweet down, um, but they weren't able to reach an agreement in the couple of months that have, you know, passed since this. And so they've put it back up live um, as well as, yeah, as the tweet and the Facebook post. So then just the other day on Monday, Crikey bought a full-page ad in the New York Times and in the Canberra Times but the nine newspapers, interestingly, refused to put it in the SMH and the H, um, which I thought was just a little fun fact. So they well, put it why, in. Why did they not? Because wouldn't it like, I don't know. almost work well, out for them? They have a bigger readership than the Canberra Times, obviously. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Canberra. Um, but I'm not sure. I guess it would just have been too kind of They didn't snarky. want getting s- stuck in between yeah, the middle of it? Yeah. I guess so. But they'd benefit from it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it would get them publicity, so yeah. I don't know. 
I have no idea. Anyway, they bought this full-page ad in the New York Times and the Canberra Times, which basically dared Lachlan Murdoch to sue them. So I'm actually going to read it out because it's not very long, um, but I thought it was really interesting. So it's titled, An Open Letter to Lachlan Murdoch, Co-Chairman of News Corporation and Executive Chairman on, of Fox Corporation. Dear Lachlan, as you know, nearly two months ago, Crikey published a piece of commentary about the sorry state of US politics and the January 6th insurrection that mentioned the Murdoch family name twice. You responded through your lawyer with a series of letters in which you accused us of defaming you personally in that story. Crikey is an independent Australian news outlet, uh, website, sorry, launched in 2000 covering politics, media and public issues. We at Crikey strongly support freedom of opinion and public interest journalism. We are concerned that Australia's defamation laws are too restrictive. Today in Crikey, we're publishing all the legal demands and accusations from your lawyer and the replies from our lawyers in full so people can judge your allegations for themselves. We want to defend those allegations in court. You have made it clear in your lawyer's letters you intend to take court action to resolve this alleged defamation. We await your writ so that we can test this important issue of freedom of public interest journalism in a courtroom. And it's signed from the chairman of private media, which owns Crikey, and the editor-in-chief of Crikey. So I thought that was a pretty snarky little letter. Yeah, I, I think they definitely tried to play the, oh, I've done no wrong. Exactly. You know, it, it <laughs> and I think that it's um, an interesting kind of strategy to publish it all in full, like all the legal mm. demands and all the legal letters in full, because people aren't going to read them all. No. Like, who's going to go, um, this is something I really care about, so I'm going to spend hours trying to decipher the legal jargon <laughs> that everyone uses. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Yeah, you're going to need some year 12 legal studies student like yourself mm. to just yeah. stand by themselves and out. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so, do you think it's a valid comparison, do you know, to say that the Murdochs and their slew of poisonous Fox News commentators are the unindicted co-conspirators? Um... I mean, without... Without defaming anyone, Without George. defaming anyone and without whipping out, you know, my legal studies right. textbook from year 11. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of like... You, you can see... I don't think they're actually, like, trying to compare it. I think they're more just, like, trying to, you know, garner some attention around it and, like... Yeah, it um, is a bit sensationalist. Yeah, sensationalise it, exactly, which is kind of contradictory compared to... Yeah, what they're ...who saying. they're coming up against as well, like Fox mm. News and the Murdochs, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're 101 at sensationalism. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, like, I don't think it's a, like, completely fair comparison, yeah. um, but, like, I think, like, you know... We can see what they're trying to do. Yeah, like I can see what he's trying to <laughs> yeah. say. So previously, Crikey's also had to apologise for a, fa- a few other Murdoch um, comparisons, and they've had to take down some articles and publish apologies and things. So they've got form. Um, I read an article <laughs> that Crikey wrote, um, I think it was the editor, um, analysing other media outlets' coverage of the kind of dispute, and I thought that was a very snarky. <laughs> I hope he doesn't come article. on here. <laughs> I hope he's not listening right now. Yeah, it was a very snarky little article. It was quite funny. Um, so I would, yeah. Anyway, um, so they've published the legal correspondence between the two parties. Is that what do you think of that? I mean, I've said you know I think it's a bit kind of of an interesting strategy. It um, really, like it puts everything out there. Yeah, I. Th- I think the tactic they're trying to kind of employ here is just like um, maybe utilizing the Murdoch's unpopularity mm. um, within Australia and especially within Crikey's and, readership. Yeah, exactly. And like if they can 
show how blatantly open they are. Maybe they get mm-hmm. some brownie points in the sense yeah. where, like, oh, they're, they've got no secrecy, they've got nothing to hide, they're very open, they're very, you know, their interests are our interests. Um, this is the enemy, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> the common enemy. Yeah, the common enemy of the Murdochs, <laughs> I guess, from their perspective. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's just the, another tactic they're trying to employ there. Mm. And so Lachlan Murdoch's court documents specifically argued that the article caused or is likely to cause serious harm to his reputation by reason of several matters, including the allegations of criminality and sensational language. (laughs) So Crikey hasn't yet filed a defence, so we don't actually know what they're going to say. Um, It's likely that they'll put it as truth or as opinion or something. Mm. I've forgotten all the other defamation defences. I know I learnt them in year 10, but... uh, I don't think, like, (laughs) just touching back on that, I don't think, like... um, his reputation can be tarnished any more than it probably is by yeah. virtue of his surname. So um, I think, like, you know, sensationalism and, like, Murdoch, as I said before, just goes hand in hand. So it's yeah. like, how much worse can this actually be? Exactly. Yeah, so Crikey is still definitely standing by the article. So obviously it's been reposted. Um, Will Haywood, who's the CEO of the um, private media, which owns Crikey, said, while we are very confident and confident of our legal case, we think the imputations that have been argued are absurd and would not hold in a court of law. So basically he's just saying, I don't think that Lachlan Murdoch has a point um, and I think we'll win. So without, uh, with while recognising that neither of us are defamation experts <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, do you think our defamation laws are too restrictive? Like, should he be able to sue for something like this being said about him? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because, like, defamation is such an integral part of media. Like, you know, as, you know, a uni student and future uni student yourself, <laughs> um, defamation is, you know, it's almost like the crux of journalism, media, mm. law, and ethics. Like, yeah. um, it, it, it is very restrictive in what you can say. And I guess the more... The more responsibility and the bigger readership you have, the more that's um, highlighted within the public, like defamation laws and how careful you have to be. But at the same time, um, you can almost be objectively defaming people um, to the point where it doesn't be seen as defamatory. Um, Like, you know, not everything is defamation. Like, there's no, there's still a bit of grey area within that. So, um, yeah, I... I personally think it is a bit much because, um, you know, even like right now as we speak, we can't say certain things regardless yeah. of how much we back it up with evidence. I think that's Mimi's, um, that's her specialty <laughs> over there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it's a little bit harsh, um, but at the same time, we can see why defamation laws are put in place because you don't want to just, you know, put put immediate scrutiny on someone based off no, um, based off no evidence or no backing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't think it will change because I think... No, because um, they changed quite recently as well. Yeah. And so this is kind of being seen as a bit of a test case to see, like, how far the new amendments go, which I don't know that much about, to be very honest with you. I mean, I was just sort of thinking, like, we say, like, it is very strict and it is kind of annoying that we have to watch so carefully mm-hmm. what we say in the media and online and everything because we can be sued for defamation. But there's also a degree of, like... Look at America, where there's not so many defamation suits, um, but their media is so sensationalist, mm. for lack of a better word. You know, there's Fox News who are just saying whatever they want, basically. Yeah. They're just making it up yeah. and broadcasting it. And they're not 
well, they are getting sued, but like not successfully. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because like the way they look at news, I guess, in America is completely different to how yeah. they, in Australia. Because I guess a lot of that probably pins down to yeah defamation. Um, just like because you know you can't have blatant left wing and right wing um, news channels within Australia, whereas you know that's really mm-hmm. obvious in America. Like. Yeah, CNN on one side, Fox News on the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really does play down a lot more than I like just thought. Just like, yeah, yeah. It, it really is um, integral to how like the media landscape works in certain countries, um, including yeah. America. But I don't know if that's beneficial or not because maybe it's no. it can definitely. It's almost like how in- independent media, um, where there's little regulation, it leads to people um, just you know, obtaining the views of the, of like the host of the show. Of, yeah. Like, like editorializing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, like from that point, you, there should be maybe a level within television or major newspapers where they've got to be more, um, susceptible to these defamation laws as c- in comparison to like independent media. Yeah. And so probably my last question, do you think this is just like a rich family trying to exercise its power over the media, given that it's already so powerful? You know, the Murdochs are the most powerful media family in the world. Yeah. Um, or do you think that he has a legitimate complaint? Um, no, I, th- I think like there's a legitimacy to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think like, I think everyone's... Obviously, it isn't black or white. Yeah, I yeah. think I think any media outlet has been striving for the day to take the Murdoch or some yeah. Murdoch to go, <laughs> like, to court. Yeah, like they wear that as a badge of honor. So, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah, I think like there is legitimacy to it. And like obviously, like if they weren't in the situation, they wouldn't be going after them. Yeah. Um, if they didn't have a major backing and a major audience, audience, um, they wouldn't go after them as much. But um, I think there's still merit to it. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, when you see someone say, like, oh, I dare you to sue me, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they kind of thought that he would, yeah. but then he did. It's <laughs> like when you're, in, when you're in school and you're exactly. like, oh, you wouldn't do it, and then yeah. they, they would do, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that peer pressure where it's like they're begging for someone yeah, to, exactly. to, 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 to fame them or to take them to court. But Yeah. yeah. Back on Represent on Sin with Brady and George. Yeah. And we're at the end of the show because it was a pretty quiet week in Australian politics. And in the studio without Mimi. And in the studio without Mimi. And in RMIT. I feel like it's really yeah. dead right now. I think... It is bit. And even at my uni at Deegan as well, it's really, oh, really, really, really quiet recently. Maybe people just disillusioned with... <laughs> the maybe education system. Yeah. Maybe they're so caught up with um, Lachlan Murdoch's tactics. They're mm. scared of anything they say. It's like the Fair secret enough. police are coming around. <laughs> um, no, but uh, it is another week. And as per every week, we remember to... Stay, stay political. political. <laughs> um, we hope you enjoyed your listen this week. You can catch us on Omni, on Apple Podcasts on Spotify, basically anywhere you get your podcast. Remember to listen in next week and coming up next, I believe, amplifies on. So stay tuned for the drive home. See you guys. You're listening to Represent on Sin. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast where young people run the show.